Hello, my name is Kate Gingell, and you're listening to the Remarkableness Podcast. My remarkable guest today is Yemi Penn. Yemi is a British-born Nigerian living in Sydney, Australia. She's an engineer by profession, an entrepreneur by passion, and mindset transformation coach by mission. Yemi currently runs four successful businesses, is the author of the book, Did You Get the Memo?, has recently presented a TEDx talk in Florida, and been interviewed by best-selling author Jack Canfield. Yemi has also recently released her first documentary titled, Did I Choose My Trauma? This short documentary follows her experience of childhood abuse into adulthood and is integrated with the knowledge and insight of leading therapists and healers. Welcome to the Remarkableness Podcast. So, Yemi, thank you so much for generously agreeing to spend some time with me today. I know you have a lot going on in your life. <laughs> this is almost like a break for me, so thank you for having me, genuinely. Oh, lovely. I'm, I'm honoured. Yeah. Thank you. It would be, I think, lovely for the audience just to have a bit of a background about you, your story, which will then lead into your mission. Yeah. Uh, and I will give links to you. You know, you've had an amazing interview with Jack Canfield, you've done your documentary um, and your TEDx talk, and there'll be links to all of those. But I think just to get started, yeah. hearing a bit from you about the background would be wonderful. Oh, whenever I'm given free reign to talk in any capacity, I never know how far to go. So I'm going to try and summarise and then by all means um, stop me. And when I hear you talk about those accolades of Jack Canfield and TEDx, I just think, who is that? So I, I promise you I sit here and I still pinch myself thinking, wow, I didn't even know I was on this journey. But if I was to give an introduction, I, I, I probably put it like this. I'm a British born Nigerian living in Sydney, Australia. And one might not think that's a big deal, but it is considering I think a lot of us have been given this notion that we are born and we just kind of stay in one place. And the reason why I talk about these these different parts of me, because the Nigerian part of me is huge in my culture because I went to boarding school there. So there's a big part and my culture was still very big in the UK when I eventually went back to the UK and continued secondary school and university. And then seven years ago, um, 2014, relocated to Australia. I'd, I'd love to say that that was just because I wanted to see the world, but I'm pretty confident trauma and life circumstances have moved me around. And I, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, outside of, say, my geographical situation, I'm an engineer by profession, was never meant to be that. I think I'm a silent rebel, so I'm a Taurus, the bull, definitely stubborn, but um, I'm a bit of a rebel in the sense that I always wanted to question what I was being guided to do, especially when others did, and I didn't have much confidence, so I definitely did a lot of what others suggested was right, because after all, I figured they've lived life longer than I have, maybe in different varieties, so I just assumed I needed to do that, but doing engineering was my first my first rebellious act, because my mum and dad wanted me to study law. My dad was a lawyer. The fir his first child, so my older brother, didn't go into law. So as me as the second in the chain from my dad, it, it was the thing to do. And I did it for A-levels, which I think is the equivalent of HSCs in Australia. And it was boring as hell. I just couldn't understand why I would argue over and over. And even though I love conversations, there was something about using my hands and my brain to solve problems even though you know the law legal profession highly you know I highly commend the work they do I, I wanted something a bit more tangible for me I wanted to think about ideas and then make it happen and that was when 
doing engineering came in and it was it was tough as as hell once again life lessons it was the first thing I did that I failed at and completely turned around and passed really well and I can't think of a better analogy for life which is our ability to completely change things um, around regardless of if we fail in the first instance and so my engineering would have got me some really great jobs which brought me to Australia would not have got the visa to come here if I didn't have that so I'm so grateful for that privilege that I have and then once again I would have just felt ah is is this it is this is this what I signed up for and how many years am I going to be alive for do I really want to do this so real questions and that was when I started to do some real deep development work and that's where going into the transformation healing um work came in and and I'm sure we're going to talk about that but Mm -hmm. and I have two beautiful children I've got a 14 year old daughter and a seven year old son and I'm still trying to figure out um exactly what I signed up for with motherhood but we'll get to that later (laughs) (laughs) and getting into the trauma because this is obviously part of your mission now is to help heal others yeah it's been interesting listening to your story that you didn't really start to address it fully until you were in your 30s 30s, yeah and the trauma actually happened when you were seven correct yeah and I mean if you're happy to talk about that that would be the actual trauma but I find it did you know deep down all along that you were going to have to address this at some point or did it really did it really not not um come up as something that you felt you needed to do yeah am I okay to talk I mean I'll talk about it in a recent am I okay to share the the okay the nature of it so my particular trauma even though I think we all have more than one but the one that I believe has left an imprint in who I was and who I'm becoming was sexual abuse as a child so my memory takes me back to seven years old um that the one memory where it's a visual I I get it I know what happened Mm -hmm. I think other stuff would have happened but as I'm beginning to learn about the brain we completely block it out mainly to protect ourselves or to just assume it didn't happen but for me so With this particular incident at seven years old, um, I told people along the way. So when I say that I suppressed it, I suppressed talking about it as if it was an issue. It just felt like it's life. It happens to everybody or every other person. Don't make a big deal about it and therefore don't even look at healing it or acknowledging it. I did find myself telling some partners I was with And it was quite interesting. I didn't have the vocabulary or the intuition then. But I would remember thinking, why did, Yemi, why did you just share that with your partner? How is that even relevant? But now, you know, I just turned 39, you know, celebrating the life in my 30s. And I can't wait to get to 40 and just really start enjoying life because now I don't care what anybody thinks. Um, I just, and I figured now looking back that I just wanted to be seen and heard. And I still have to do the work on whether I feel that now. But is that part of the journey? I don't know, question mark. And that's what I want to do with the collective. I don't have all the answers. I want to work with other people. But when I say suppressed it until I was in my 30s or really acknowledged it, I acknowledged that there was power taken from me. Mm. I would never have acknowledged that. Then it was just an event. It was an incident. A horrible one but did not know or acknowledge that it took away my my physical power, it took away my sexual power, it took away parts of my identity. If you don't acknowledge that, and I'd been sitting on that for, you know, 30 years, what have I missed out on? And what 
could I be missing out on by not acknowledging it now? And so that's probably uh, that's probably the, the fairest way to talk about how much I suppressed it, and definitely not to this magnitude. I mean, for most cultures, this is this is the worst thing that could happen is have someone talk about um, an event that's taboo and that we typically just put under the carpet. But yeah. Yes, particularly when it's um, yeah somebody's relatively close as well. Yes, because right. yes, so, this yeah. was this was an mm-hmm. uncle. So mm-hmm. this was an uncle on the maternal side. And and that's and it, the after effects are still they're still coming they're mm. still coming it's not like oh it's a done and dusted and it's still coming and I'm still trying to do the work of well Yemi what are you trying to achieve because that was the question that came up it came up to me in 2012 where a relative a really close relative <coughs> said to me what are you trying to achieve by talking about this and I look back and I remember then just being stunned because, I mean, how old was I? I was in my early 30s. It was 2012 when I was talking about the fact because my, my uncle was back in town and, and I knew he was looking after someone. He was looking after a little girl and, and I, I panicked. And I guess I just thought, surely everyone knows that this is a bad idea, especially because I've told you now. But the question was, what are you trying to achieve and so I'm now here, 39, thinking, well, I know what I'm trying to achieve now. Firstly, I don't want anybody else's power to be taken away by that particular uncle. But I didn't even know that I had to explain that. And it appears that the rest of the world probably is fully unaware of what needs to be explained in regards to trauma. Because we have done this for centuries. Mm-hmm. Centuries. So the work is so deep. And that sometimes when I think about it, I just get overwhelmed thinking... Uh, is there any point starting with this because you're not going to be able to finish it in this lifetime and I bet you that's what people before us have done and the reason why it still is an issue so yeah kind of rambled on there but, no not yeah. at all did you have support as well from a family when you first started talking about it or it, not really it depends on what support yeah, is I've, yeah, start, sure. I've started reading um, a book by a lady who I've just met her name is Aminata Conte-Biger um, and she's got a foundation her story was featured SBS here in Australia and she talks about the Sierra Leonean war and she talks about her trauma and as I'm listening to her audible I mean she's echoing a lot of things sometimes you don't have the luxury of getting the support you want and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the people that were the problem they have no idea I look this is and this is why I love interviews like this and will forever be grateful for the opportunity without knowing I will not be surprised if women and potentially men in my family went through similar traumatic incidences and so if I was to go based on the Western culture of what support looks like, which is holding the space to listen or taking me to a therapist, then no, that, that wouldn't have happened. When I did mention it again in 2012, my siblings were significantly more attentive. They were attentive and that was purely because I think I was able to put it in words and I've been doing so recently where I said, imagine if uncle was looking after your kids. Would you want me to speak then? So how come we can only speak when it is in our front yard? And I don't want anyone to have to think about trauma that way, you know. But but that's the, the conversation is so um, what we've left is so so far in the priority of of society that we we have to show the pain right close up before we pay attention. 
And so definitely the support has been there. They knew I was going to start getting vocal on a large scale, but I think they still struggled to understand, well, why are you talking about it? Why wouldn't you just not move on? And I said, this isn't a case of moving on. It's a case of being an activist. It's a case of being someone who is dedicated to change. Imagine if someone just said to Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, don't worry about that civil rights movement. Just, just chill. Black people will be okay. Just, just let it go. I mean, we're still not there, but if they hadn't done what they did probably could be sitting with you right now mm. and 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 that's why I, I do it I think I mean it's one of those things one can be so detached from if, if it hasn't happened it's like I think it's like people who have depression unless yes. you've had it you simply don't understand yes. what exactly what it is a friend I was talking to yesterday I said I was going to be interviewing today lovely yeah. girl Kim she sent me a quote I'm only going to read a little bit of it which she found on a Facebook page called Uplift mm-hmm. by Nick Cave um, who said, what do we do with suffering? As far as I can see, we have two choices. We either transform our suffering into something else mm-hmm. or we hold on to it and eventually pass it on. Yes, mm. yes. and, and I, I think if we wanted to be simplistic, there are those two choices. You transform it or you pass it on. There's another gentleman who wrote a book, My Grandmother's Hands, um, Resma Markham, I believe his name is, and I love his terminology, which is, Um, those that don't transform their trauma they tend to blow it through other people so just think of all the challenges we have in the world and just think of all of them them. you know my my brain says if we just looked at our trauma then we wouldn't all these big things wouldn't actually be so big but that's what's happening and and it's because we're we're not but we're so focused on the gdp how how each country is stacking their wealth versus the mental health and, I, and, and I, part of me gets sad that if we don't if we don't really approach this <clears throat> from a global perspective the call for robots and artificial intelligence becomes more important as they start to discard humans for for fear that we are depressed or anxious or struggling with mental health mm-hmm. challenges so for me the call to action is if the government aren't going to listen what are we the collective the majority going to do about it yeah i'm going to jump around a little bit i had some a couple of things in my mind one you you mentioned before that it was when your daughter um was suffering um in some shape or form at school and that actually you felt yourself disassociating yeah the first question i wanted to ask was what exactly that because i've heard other people talk about disassociating what exactly does that mean you're detaching yourself from yeah it's it's something happens and all of a sudden you everybody's different some people shut down so an example very simple my kids for some reason have this habit of they do something wrong and so for instance she spills the milk it falls out she stops and she looks at me and there's a whole fanfare of us staring each other down and I'm like just pick up the milk it's still running but there's a bit there where she's disassociated where something's going on in her brain and I think she's having a conversation she's frozen am I about to get in trouble can I just pretend this milk didn't actually drop so that's a very simplistic form for me of disassociating for me it was a case of I I left my body to leave my body means I do not even believe this is happening. It's not a big deal. And I've spoken to my daughter and she doesn't mind me speaking about it. And I think this this is why I thank people for being courageous enough to hold platforms to talk about this. But for her, it was self-harm. A huge pandemic we are not talking about with the younger generation. And younger can span from, from any age, to be honest. Um, I, I, I saw it and it, it brought up so many things. For me, I, I saw the marks and it... It, it took me, firstly, it took me back to 
the welts you would get from slavery, from the whippings. So it was it was that deep. And then the other one was just how I deal with trauma, which was, okay, let's just stiffen up. But I thought I was going one step further by saying, okay, I'm going to get you therapy. But it was it was quite cold. It wasn't cold towards her. It was cold towards myself. So I was not allowing myself to understand that she was going through something because my brain couldn't understand what the hell a 14 or 13 year old could be going through that would require her to this. To Once again, it's that lack of understanding and therefore you disassociate from it. So that, that's very, and, and there's still so much work I want to do on that. I mean, once again, I've decided to do a PhD because I'm obviously not busy enough, but it's to look more into trauma because I, I want to understand the phenomenons and then wordsmith it so I can share it with the world. But yeah. You are, I mean, you, you have got a, a lot going on. I, want the other, I wanted to mention the Sarah Boner Transformation <laughs> Foundation, which you, <laughs> which I saw yesterday. And just that beautiful, Sarah, am I saying it right, Sarah, Sarah Boner? Yeah. I see you, you are important to me and I value you. Yeah. Um, bringing healing to today's world. Yes. Um, and healing trauma. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Sarah Bonner, I got it wrong. It's actually a Zulu word, which it does mean I see you and you are important to me. And there's so much more and it's so beautiful because usually if I say that to you, Sarah Bonner, there's usually a word you would say back, which is along the lines of, and I'm here to be seen. Thank you. Just just beautiful exchange. Something I would love Australia and the rest of the world to do something similar to the Are You OK Day. I mean, how powerful would it be to just walk down the street and just smile and say, I see you or Sarah Bonner. There's something like that can actually make monumental shifts in humanity. So for me, I came across that word, um, my now partner, who he said it to me one day, and he is um, as non-black as you come. So he is a Caucasian man from um, northern England near, near, he's going to kill me if I get this wrong, Wigan, <coughs> so around Manchester. And he said those words to me. And I didn't know what it meant. And I was about to go off on some tangent saying, you shouldn't be doing this, cultural appropriation. But the minute he told me the meaning of it, it became <clears throat> genderless, raceless, whatever. All the complications we add, it just left. It was, I see you. And I thought, how? I mean, I'd never heard of it. And from there, I don't know whether that when, was when I got my first download of, you've got to create businesses around this model. And that was a couple of years ago. And so there are a few other things I do with Sarah Bonner, but it was now a case of, okay, how can I relate this to the trauma stuff? When I close my eyes, I see centers around the world, hubs, you know, the equivalent of where you might go for AA center or for dads in distress, just communities, but actually have people, traditional, non-traditional healers who are just there. The typical... Back, let's go back to the indigenous method of having circles, circles so that you all feel like you're in it. And I just, people come in, I'm, I'm struggling. I had an event, my dog died. No trauma is bigger than the other. My TEDx said that and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure I'm going to be challenged over time, which is why I probably need to do this PhD so I can add some extra credibility. But it's that, that's what Salbon and Transformation Foundation is, is, that's the dream to do that. Um, and I, I was overthinking it and I just thought, just just do it. So I just put the post out because, you know, sometimes you're holding on to something and you're thinking, I need more vibration on this foundation. And when you share it with people like yourselves who picked it up, it gives it more wings. So hopefully we get the funding to start doing some virtual stuff. Um, and then, yeah, my yeah, the dream is with the other directors is to start 
getting people trained up in the vision so that they can start running these worldwide. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. That's a fabulous vision yeah. to have. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And it was part of, you said it's Mental Health Month at the moment. Yes, in America uh, that is. Right, yes, okay. in America, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, there seemed to be, I mean, there is an epidemic of depression, yeah. for example, and in often in young people who certainly on the outside don't appear yes. to have had a lot of trauma. They seem yeah. to have a loving home, yeah. um, a happy upbringing, you know, things that they need. And do you have, I mean, we don't know why exactly yeah. it's happening, but it seems to be uh, every psychologist I know, child psychologist, is absolutely flat out. And I think COVID obviously last year made things worse. Honestly, I don't have the full answers. Last night, exactly last night, my, my daughter, we were both talking and she said, Mum, I haven't cried as much as I have today. She said, it's embarrassing. I said, why is it embarrassing? She said, because I'm just crying and I don't know why. And we spoke about depression. And she proceeded to say that I don't understand what depression is. Um, and she's right, I don't understand her version of it. I'm, I'm pretty confident I was a highly functioning, depressed individual. Highly functioning. Um, and there might still be some elements of it. I think it's the reason why I have so many things on. I think that's my defence mechanism. So I'm aware of it. There's an awareness. And so there are times I know when I need to stop and I will have a nap every day for five days. <clears throat> so when I was speaking to her, it, and, and I, I, I believe this is the work she's to do in the world as well. We just need to get through this period. But just as you share that with all the psychologists saying this epidemic is going on, I can't help but feel it's it's soul based. I think it's soul based. I think it's five D based, and I don't even know exactly what that means. But it's outside of this earth and plane as we see it. I think there is something moving around, um, and and I also think whoever, whatever powers, whether it's you know Mother Earth, God, Buddha, whoever people believe in, there is something way more aware than we are that says you've ignored humanity for too long for so long and the younger generations are the one that are showing it and feeling it I was yeah. literally just going to move into that yes the kind yeah. of spiritual aspect I think they draw on the universal consciousness yes. which at the moment around the world is 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 a low one I mean it's yeah. a low vibration and um and I think they are a lot more sensitive yeah. to it and um yeah so that is a whole another yeah it, Therefore, it has to be addressed in a different way. I wonder too. if anyone's doing any work on that because, you, you know, you're the second one and I usually, now if I get messages or someone says the same thing or two people say the same thing twice, I'm like, there's something in that. But I'm just inter- I'm wondering if anyone's doing stuff, if anyone's picked that up. There's an epidemic, not just in Australia, around the world. Yeah. All you've got to do is call somebody in the Philippines, in Germany, and ask them about how a group of children, certain age bracket are doing and they'll be sharing the same the same thing that they are struggling mentally. It has to be addressed. It does. Mm. Whose responsibility is it? Mm. And I think that's. I don't. Yeah. You know, if it's not going to bring in money to the com- um, the country, I can't see governments making it a priority. And a big reason why um, <laughs> it's like they're all linked. Mm. It's a big reason for diversity and inclusion. And once again, diversity and inclusion isn't just about race. It could actually be about age. It can be about ability, neurodiversity. So, that and this is why we have to keep the momentum going. Mm. I'm already off on a tangent, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I think that's right. I mean, I suppose at school also there's a high level of awareness where 
where everything is still so rigid from a curriculum point yes. of view, they are also um, they're also being taught about the earth and how um, you know the, uh, their parents and grandparents, whatever, have not you know treated her well, yeah. and so therefore there's an added responsibility yeah. for them. So they come out of school feeling guilty um, as well, I think, very often, or yeah. at least that they have the, the burden of that on their shoulders. And um, absolutely, yeah. and, it's, and it's whether they've got the emotional intelligence and maturity yet to put that into words for us to listen mm. to them. Mm. I forget her name. Is it Greta? Um, the yes, young, younger, yeah, doing something about climate change. Mm. You know, that was one way. We need more of that, but are we going to give them the support? And you said something. We, My partner and I went to see the comedian Ben Elton in Newcastle. Mm. It was hilarious, but it was an eye-opener. I mean, he's in his 60s. He hasn't slowed down, and he knows this, and he, his wife was saying, you should really slow down. But he was saying he understands the plight. You look at what we've got with COVID, and we've got the younger people staying indoors to make sure that those who are more mature and older and vulnerable don't don't get sick. And he made he made a joke of it, but he said you can understand the frustration of the younger generation. Not only can they not get on the property ladder, their freedom is also restricted due to really poor decisions that have been made decades ago. So the question is, do we have any young parliamentarians, is that a word, or MPs? These are the things. But then once again, we would need to be the generation who's supporting them Mm. and giving them the platform. Mm. I think healers, you know, of both kinds, you know, alternative and conventional, can be helpful together. And certainly we have young people who have psychologists, but also looking for a sort of another... um, area of healing yeah too so mm-hmm. and I believe I mean I'm currently looking for a supervisor for my PhD and so I've been having a lot of conversations with current professors and I spoke to a lady at UTS who said psychology is now looking at the things they avoided in the past which is things like mindfulness and yoga mm-hmm. um, and so once again going back to you know we're not calling it ancient anymore because it's now firmly embedded in the Western culture, but going far back. And not, I don't want to be worried, nor do I want to put aside academics, but my goodness, if it's taken that long for us to acknowledge that it was missing from a curriculum that has been governing um, society for so long, what else have we forgotten? What else should we, should we go back and look into? So I'm, yeah, but if we could go faster, that would be great. Yeah, would be good. <laughs> Um, on a slightly different tag, um, but still perhaps talking about children, but they're coming into how you actually found your purpose. Yes. I think, you know, teenagers, and you mentioned it in the book, and I've looked at my children going through their teenage years, you know, one knew exactly what they wanted, the other yeah. two didn't. But the fact that there's a, a real push, pressure to choose from the age of 14, 15, 16, what they want to do and therefore what they study means how they're going to, you know, spend the rest of their lives. Um that, that's one thing but just coming back to you and actually perhaps more my sort of age group or women after they've had their children mm. are realising actually that it's time yeah. to find something else how do you and I know you as a coach as well that's mm. um, all the other things that you do <laughs> um, how do you help people find their purpose and what do you suggest that they do to do that Oh, you've touched on this is why I love questions like this because my brain just has a party trying to put all the words together but I love it um, I guess the first thing is I do help them but it's to empower them to figure out what it is um, and, and you mentioned kind of two bookends so if you look at say that younger 14 to 15 
uh, for me, I, I get downloads and responses, which is why I really try to over plan interviews. But the one thing is, remember that we're still working off a paradigm where you've got um, people working towards uh, what's the word? It's not a capitalist society. You need to know what you want to do 14 to 15 because we want to train you to be a certain job to work till you retire. So firstly, we've got to change that paradigm. Is now the time to do it? Absolutely. You know, I had I had a conversation earlier this week where they said, what's top of mind for me at the moment? And I said, what's top of mind is that we're going through a reset. I'm not trying to put it on any theory, even though I do believe some of the theories out there. But there's going to be a reset. I've gotten comfortable with that. I want to be at the forefront of that reset. I want diversity to be at the forefront. So I have no problem. You're about to change it. I just want people with different values, ethics to be at the forefront. So we do not screw this up again. <laughs> so that's at the forefront. And I think if we did that, we would change how um, how the younger generation right now and what they do and, and just take time. And so my guidance to someone and I do with my daughter, I feel hypocritical because if the borders weren't closed, I'd be traveling the world right now filming the next documentary and I was going to pull both my kids out of school because that was going to be their school for a year. The world had shown that they could work remotely and I know people have homeschooled for decades, so I was going to do that. I was just going to change it and just be comfortable with whatever the consequences were. Um, but we don't have that and I might still do that. So I think if, if they were to sit in the same system, as you have to hold on and ask what brings you joy or what problems, challenges do you see in the world that you just want to face? Because my partner and I, I mean, we always had it. Whenever he gets in the car and he's complaining about something at work or this happened, I say, babe, well, why don't you get involved? Why don't you, why don't you see what other groups are out there? You know, he's going through some challenges and he currently goes to a group called Dads in Distress and... I, I love it. There he is in this, you know, testosterone built engineering industry. But I love that he goes in there and he's able to support other men who are going through distress as a result of divorce or separate. Your purpose for me most of the time stems from your joy and your pain. And so it's a case of choosing which one, which one is it. I've just written an article for Media Stable as well where I think there's an article that came out that said more mature people are becoming really successful entrepreneurs. And so when you talk about whether it's people in their late 40s, 50s, 60s, my, my goodness, um, I almost can't wait to get there. Um, I already feel I'm there now because I feel I've been around on this plane for a while. Say, we shall list all the things that you do in a minute. <laughs> um, but I, I would be having a field day because, I, and I would want to partner up with the younger generation because... For me, the more mature generation has probably seen cycles of things happen. They know what's, they probably know what's going to happen. They've got a wisdom. And partnering up with the person who is from Silicon Valley and can put those two together. I mean, for me, that's a powerhouse. I can't believe... I, I wanted to had another business idea. Well, I don't know. What was it? It was The Intern. I don't know if you ever saw that. It's a great movie. Once again, okay. more seasoned gentleman. He goes in as an intern for a lady who works in technology. But the best coupling ever. Um and a way to contribute but I think ultimately to find your purpose it's a case of not what brings you joy and if you're stuck there what brings you pain because mm. you're ultimately gonna if you want to transmute it to power and that becomes your purpose because we need more people helping with all the things we struggle with in the world it's a very good way of looking yes because often people say what brings you joy and people struggle as you yeah. say so yeah. no so you're turning it around yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah 
So your businesses, you you have an engineering consultancy business, you have um, an F45 gym in London, you have a coaching business, you've made a documentary, you're planning on making a full-length documentary. Uh, First question there, coming from um, having read your book, uh, uh, not a very confident person. Mm. I mean, you're you're well lacking in self-worth, I think. How did you turn that over? Did you just get out and just start... Doing things to build your belief, or yeah. I mean, I'm trying to like not do any swear words in this, and I won't. But the truth is, that is what allowed me to do it is I realised that everybody else was jacking up just as much as I was, okay. um, and I know that doesn't sound great, but it gave me the comfort that I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was just living life, and I didn't happen to do it the way the memo, the way it had been painted in the movies. That was it. Let me break down the. And I was only able to do that because I took myself out of my environment in the UK and moved to Australia. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to hear my own voice, my own soul, my own calling. So that was the first thing, was to realise that I wasn't alone. But I was only able to do that when I got the confidence to speak to people. You know, I look at the work Renee Brown did and she's made something so complicated, sound so simple, that it's okay to be vulnerable and how to look at shame in a different way. Even though I wasn't across her work I think I had an innate knowing at that time that it was okay for me to talk about the fact that you know I wasn't happy that I had two kids from two different dads that I mean if, if I was ever going to get an F in life it was that because I knew of the judgments myself and my community carried with that um, and, and so it was a case of self-love so the more I started to, so I, I couldn't have been successful in my businesses without looking at myself I do think there are people that can be but I don't think it's sustainable and sadly I think that's where some of the mental health challenges implode because we've used all the external to hide it. But for me, my business has came from doing the personal development work and um, the confidence got built. And I'm, I'm still nervous, but I'm only, ner- I'm only nervous because I want to know everything. And, you know, I'm 39 now. Let's just say I'm to live till, I don't know, 85. My nervousness is, is I have no idea what's going to happen yeah. between now and then. <laughs> Um, but outside of that, I'm confident with what I do know, and, and the rest is going to be a learning experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And getting back to the trauma again, and the, and the 20 minute documentary, yeah. um, which I did. Did you? Did we? Did you choose? Did yeah, I choose did my I choose trauma? trauma? Yeah. Um, I was having a chat with my daughter about mm-hmm. this. Actually, I was telling her that I'd watched it and um, just getting her um, thoughts. And just to explain what you said was that your seven-year-old human self did not choose the trauma that you went through, but you do believe at some level your spiritual self did. Yeah. In order to be able to use that for yeah. to harness it. Yeah. And, and and do something with it to, for the good. Yeah. Um, Question that came up then was therefore does if there is a perpetrator or yeah. if that's what you want to call it, mm. do they also choose that yeah. from a spiritual level? It's a, it's a brilliant question and my response is yes. I think wherever we sit on the spectrum of trauma, whether we instigate it on ourselves, whether we're the perpetrator or the traumatized, I feel deep down on some soul level we do. Um and that's part of what the feature-length documentary is going to do. You know, you know when you just have this knowing, but because we live in a world where they want to see data and all of that good stuff. So part of what I would do in terms of grounded research is go and investigate. Well, what? Why would anyone choose that? 
and and that's the juice I want to bring back. But I want to share this story, which I have shared in some instances that, um, you know, it's my story, but we'll see what comes up. So I went to train as a coach as a neuro-linguistic program. I did that, um, I think, about a year or two years ago. And we did timeline therapy, which takes you back to a incident, whether in this life or another. And what came up for me when I was doing my timeline therapy was me, seven-year-old Yemi, lying down and my uncle's face kind of on top of mine. And we were both crying. And he said, I'm, I'm sorry, this, this is what we've got to do to change the world. Wow. Like, that happened. Like, I saw it. I'm even getting emotional. now. I, I saw it. And the reason why I'm crying is because I know that on, in this world... That sounds crazy. Of course it sounds crazy. Why the hell are you gonna why the hell are you gonna make that agreement? But I you know, like I say, I'm I still feel like I'm a baby in the whole spiritual five D conversations. You can tell I don't even know how to string some of the words together. <laughs> um, but that that was something that popped up in my subconscious. Um, and so if that can come up there's there's something Mm. there's something and I'm not here to say that everybody else needs to go and figure out whether the same thing happened with their perpetrator they're not I'm I'm asking them to just look at it my TEDx talk says that Mm. just just look at your own don't even look at mine don't look at mine I'm not telling my story so that you can try to help to help me brush it and make me a better person if I took responsibility of what I've got and I've got access to resources that I hope Sawabana Transformation Foundation will bring what could we see in the world but that that timeline therapy, that blew my mind. Yeah, that's remarkable. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And the full-length documentary yeah. that you're going to be making now, how, how is that going and what? Um, tell us a little bit about that, because that's a big deal. It is. Mm. It's a big deal, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm learning now, but it's so much more challenging for me to wait. Patience was not given to me when, I don't know, God was giving out <laughs> some skills or talent in patience. But I'm fully aware that I need to collaborate with this one. The other one, the short documentary, I just wanted it out. I needed it out of my head. I needed it out there. didn't even follow the due process. It was just gut feeling and it was amazing. For this one, I'm currently at the development stages. So I've submitted a proposal to Documentary Australia Foundation um, who tend to really support things that we're doing for social change and they work with philanthropists who want to support that and so being on their platform will put us in good stead to really get a lot more people to to buy into the vision and know that it's backed by something reputable like DAF. So we're currently in the very early stages because now we need to start building the funds Um, and so the the treatment which is typically what the storyline will be has been written but I'm also fully aware that the minute we start filming things could change I can just imagine I mean one of one of the scenes will see us go to Nigeria um, probably go out back here in Australia and somewhere in Japan and I, I just I just have this sense that I'm going to be speaking to elders of some sort and I'm going to learn something that we've never heard before and there's going to be a download and I'm going to be like oh my gosh we need to take a different direction of this I can just feel it so still very much in the early stages but the intent is that by September October we've raised majority of the funds to then start filming in earnest 
but the current intent and trust me this is a year later than I planned it will be out by the end of next year um, so that's the current timeline but it will we will launch the trailer hopefully early June which will then start calling people around the world to be but I, I, I want people to be part of it mm-hmm. you know even if there was a philanthropist out there that said I love this work we want to fund the whole thing um, I'd be forever grateful for that and welcome anybody who wants to do that but there's a part of me that almost wants everybody to just because money is energy and even if there was one dollar you put in you are invested in the output you are invested in the in the the mission the message and and that's what I think I'm looking for and it, yeah in order to do that we probably need as much support as possible yeah. talking about it very powerful though yeah. I think you're right a lot of people would like to be invested yeah. in that and it's also as you say from your point of view it probably is about being a bit open yes. to, to what really comes in correct mm-hmm. correct yeah amazing well, when the trailer comes out, then yes. obviously we'll, we'll put that out Please. as much as possible yeah. too. And, um, um, and this time I am going to ask more people for help. I'm not very good at asking for help. I'm going to <laughs> you ask. You <laughs> yourself. I think, just in wrapping up, um, really the final question, what brings you the most joy? The first thing that came through was my kids. And then something said, don't be silly, you're just saying that because you're a mum. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it does. Um, my kids do bring me a lot of joy because they're a certain reflection of me. Um, but then there's also a lot of pain in motherhood as well. Um, a lot of pain. And if I'm really true to my message, then I'll figure out where the joy comes from there. But what else gives me joy, honestly, at the moment, is forest bathing. It's going in nature. Um, I want... Like, if I if I spoke to any of my friends I went to secondary school with, they will tell you that Australia has abducted me. They have taken my brain. Like this is not words I would say. And then and that's my Nigerian friends. And then my British friends from South London Brixton would say, Yeah, she's definitely on something. This is not yummy because trees bring me joy. And that's something I would never have said, even though I grew up in, you know, I went to um, a school in Nigeria where there were lots, I I wasn't looking at the trees. Now I walk past a tree and there's this calling to just touch it. And that brings me joy. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping when we do this documentary, there is some culture, indigenous culture, that really gives me a a human understanding of, of the connection to trees that I don't already know. So yeah, forest bathe and nature brings me joy and I love a good nap <laughs> I love a good nap I don't think people realise that that's actually my my secret to doing so many things I probably sleep on average in a day about 9 maybe 10 hours right. um, oh, that's good. Yeah. you look beautiful on it <laughs> more sleep everybody more sleep and if you've managed to convince yourself that you don't need it um, I mean unless there's a biological reason for it because I, I do solve I do solve problems in my sleep, mm. which doesn't take away my rest, and that's part of the secret. Mm. Mm. But yeah, wonderful. And I think the tree thing. I was listening to um, that song from Pocahontas, um, oh. "Colors of the Wind," oh. and uh, the words are beautiful in there. Do look it up. I look will. it up because talking about you know everything has a spirit, a soul, a yes. name, and um, yes. we're so connected. We are all yes. yes. Because I can't remember what I was reading that was saying uh, there was some time in humanity where we were suggesting nature had the same um, 
organism structure as humans and so we were putting them as beings but then at some point we created this hierarchy structure and separated yeah Mm -hmm. and I can't even remember where that was from but that once again fascinated Mm -hmm. me yeah 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about you I mean I will put links you know from all the talks and things that you've done but where is the best place for them to find you the easiest I'm still an Instagram baby. Um, I haven't migrated to TikTok yet, so Instagram, and it's just yemi.pen. But um, my my website usually will have all my details, which is also www.yemipen.com. Wonderful. Thank you very much indeed for your time today. It's been absolute heaven. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Remarkableness podcast today with me, Kate Kinjal, and my remarkable guest, Yemi Penn. If you'd like to contact Yemi, her website is yemipen.com and she's also on Instagram at yemi.pen. All the links for the documentary, TEDx talk and interview with Jack Canfield can also be found on YouTube and in the notes attached to this podcast. Your comments as always are welcome and please share this podcast with those who you feel would benefit from hearing Yemi's story and her mission. Thank you and see you next time.